It's a time.
Good morning. Drew's back there trying to signal something to me, but he won't look at me. <laughs> Thumbs up, we're ready to go. Good morning, and it is a great day to be together. Uh, beautiful day to come together to remember our Lord, to worship our God. Uh, we're happy to have every one of you with us this morning. Um, pick up a bulletin for a, it's on the back table back there for a list of all of our upcoming events, announcements, important information that you need to know. Uh, attendance is down a little bit this morning. We have probably a couple dozen who are out at Tick Ridge, Pleasant, Pleasant Ridge, Pleasant Ridge, Pleasant Hill, Ple Pleasant Ridge, Tick Ridge, Pleasant Ridge. They're out there, uh, our youth are leading the services out there this morning. So a bunch of our uh, members have gone to be with them and support them. Um, if you would take a minute to silence your cell phones so we don't have interruptions during our service. If you're visiting with us, please fill out an attendance card. Uh, drop it in a box in the back and give it to somebody. Uh, put it in the collection plate when it's passed. Uh, we would like to have a record of your being here. A note on there, anything that we can help you out with. Uh, we're more than happy to do what we can uh, to help you with, with your needs. Um, we have a nursery behind these windows if you are in need of that. And we have children's church uh, at the appropriate time. Kids up to uh, second grade will be dismissed for that. Uh, I'll be reading this morning from uh, Psalms 84. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, and place a, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, for, from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 157, For the Beauty of the Earth. 157. <clears throat> for the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the earth.
Please be seated. Next hymn this morning, number 154. Give me the Bible, 154. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Steve Wallace will have our scripture reading and prayer. We'll sing the first three verses. Give me the Bible, star and the screen. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, our Holy Father in heaven, we come before you this morning with praise and thanksgiving, thanking you for this another day with all of its blessings, thankful for the sunshine, and we look out and see your creation. We thank you, Lord, for the many spiritual blessings that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the great love that you have shown mankind for sending your son to this earth and ultimately becoming the sacrifice for our sin it gives us the hope of eternal life with you one day. Lord, we're grateful for this uh, time that we have together to assemble with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we pray that this uh, time together we would be able to uh, praise your name. We pray that we would be strengthened, uh, strengthened as we are assembled together today. Lord, we pray that uh, all that we do here 
this morning would be pleasing in your sight. I want to ask you, Lord, for uh, those that are on our prayer list this week. Pray that you would bless those folks uh, according to your will. Pray that uh, you would strengthen them, and we pray that they would be able to assemble with us uh, soon. God, we're uh, so thankful uh, for these opportunities that you give us to come together. Lord, we pray for the church here at Rome and really for the, for the church uh, the world over and pray that we would always be found doing your will. Pray, Lord, for unity. We pray that you would help us to increase our love for one another. We give you thanks for Jesus and we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning will be from Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Acts chapter 28, verse number 1. Now when they escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked uh, for a long time, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and they said that he was a god. Next hymn this morning, number 53 at Calvary. Number 53, and we'll sing the first, second, and the last verse. And then Brother Sire will preside on the Lord's table. <clears throat> Here's a standing man of peace and pride. Can we not know one true
Think of the time that you've been in the most pain, the most physical pain. Maybe you had an accident. Maybe you broke a bone. Maybe you had to have surgery. But think about that time. For me, I've had multiple things, and unfortunately, with my life that have hurt. Ten years ago, it's actually in October, around this time, I had surgery on my uh, sinus. I had a deviated septum. A week later, I found out that during the surgery, I apparently have an artery or vein or whatever it's called in a different place than most people. Lucky me. So when the doctor took the splints out, I started bleeding. I didn't start bleeding until I was on the way to the car. I got back knowing something bad was wrong, went back in, and when they ushered me into the little room, I was followed by every nurse in the office. Uh, well, that's weird. So I sit down, and then all of a sudden, I had two nurses grab my legs, two nurses grab my arms, one get on top of me and push on my chest, while his PA under him basically put me in a headlock. I thought, boy, this ain't good. I said, whatever's about to happen is going to hurt. And then the doctor said, all right, I need to cauterize it. I said, well, this really isn't good, because I know what cauterize means. And so, without any anesthesia, the doctor cauterized that way back in my sinuses. It hurt. Now, I was a man about it, and I didn't move, and I was, didn't say anything, but it hurt. And I thought of that, and if somebody would have asked me, knowing what you do now, would you have had the surgery? I would have said, no thanks, breathing out your nose is overrated anyway. <laughs> I would not have went through with it because it hurt. And think about the pain that you might have went through. Would you have done it again willingly? But we know as we're gathered here today that somebody did go through it willingly. I want to read from Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus knew what he was going to go through. He knew the pain that he was going to suffer, but he did it anyway. Even when one of his most closest, one of his closest and most trusted friends said, no, we won't let this happen. He said, no, I've got to do it anyway. But then you ask, well, why did he do it? 
And in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So Christ suffered that for our sins, for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. He did those things because he knew we could never atone for our own sins. He knew that no matter what we did, we could never make up for those. He knew that the sacrifice that he was willing to suffer for us had to happen. We come together every first day of the week to remember that sacrifice and remember his willingness to go through that on the cross for us. This time... We have the bread that represents his body, the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that he shed on our half. If you would, let's go to God and ask blessing on the bread. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for all the many blessings you've given us. Lord, we know that the greatest blessing of all is your son, that he was willing to come to this earth to teach and to suffer and to rise again for us. Lord, we thank you for his sacrifice, his willingness to suffer the beatings, the torture, the pain, to be hung on the cross, to be humiliated, all because of our sins. Lord, we pray that you'll now bless us as we partake of this bread that represents his body that he was willing to offer up for us. Pray that you'll bless us as we partake of it. We pray that we'll do all these things in a manner that is worthy of you and that is focusing on you and your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. For through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's go to God again in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, again, we come before you thanking you for your son and the sacrifice he gave on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for the blood that he was willing to shed for us that washes away our sins. Lord, we thank you for this remembrance that we have of him. We thank you for this fruit of the vine that represents his blood. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us as we partake of it and that we are truly thinking of your son and his death upon that cross and the blood flowing down and that we truly thank you for it. Lord, again, be with us and forgive us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. we still have the men on the floor here we take this as a time um, to take up our offering we have the example of the the church in Corinth of laying by in store until Paul would come again 
We use this money to further the work in our community, uh, in our outreaches. We do this in a grateful way, a cheerful way, a loving way. It is not you have to give, it's that we can give. With those thoughts in mind, let's uh, ask a blessing on our offering. Father in heaven, Lord, again, we come before you thanking you for all that you've given us. Lord, that we, we know that we are richly blessed beyond what we deserve. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for our jobs, our means of livelihood, our families, all those material blessings that we have that we sometimes don't appreciate. Lord, we thank you for those. We know that all, all we have comes from you. Lord, at this time, we offer back a little of what you've given us to further your work through us. Lord, we pray that you'll be with those in charge of the funds and that they will be used in a wise manner and that great good can come to your kingdom on earth. Lord, we again thank you for your son and all the other many blessings you've given us. We pray that you'll be with us and forgive us of our sins. For it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 941. I sing the mighty power of God. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. 941. Thank you. 
invitation hymn this morning, number 50, Are You Washed in the Blood? Hymn number 50, Brother Chris. Good morning. Tariq Farad was 12 years old when he and his family immigrated to America uh, to help make ends meet. Tariq took on some odd jobs. He, he took on a paper route, um, a variety of other things, two or three other odd jobs. When he's 12, he jumps at this opportunity to help his family, takes advantage of this opportunity. He'd been, he's been given in this new land. By 14, he's made his way into a flower shop. Uh, he's doing menial jobs, uh, sweeping and mopping and picking up flower petals and things like that. But he and his brother both worked there. At about 17, uh, his dad comes across an opportunity to buy a flower shop. His son's been working in a flower shop for about three years now, so his son knows everything he needs to know to be able to run his very own flower shop, right? Um, that's not the case, and Tariq knows that that's not the case at 17 when his dad offers to buy this flower shop for him. But because the opportunity is there, he jumps on this opportunity and at 17 becomes an entrepreneur of a flower shop. About a year passes, he's had a guy coming in uh, regularly to buy his fiance flowers. Every week he would come in and Gentlemen, take note, I suppose, by his, his fiance flowers. And about a year later, the, uh, the young man and the young lady get married. And the young man comes into Tariq's flower shop and he says, I want you to cater our wedding, the flowers. I want you to provide the flowers for our wedding. Tariq says, well, there's a problem because I've, I've never done that before. And I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. And so the young man talks to him. And he finally convinces Tariq to jump on this opportunity to take advantage of the opportunity that's before him. And so Treek does. He, he provides the flowers for this young man and young lady's wedding. And the context that he makes from that wedding only increase his business. And now things are literally coming up daisies for him. Everything's going very well in Tariq's flower shop. A couple of years pass. And he has this wild idea. It doesn't make a lot of sense to most people. But he wants to make arrangements out of fruit and vegetables. It's an odd idea, right? But he, he, he does it, and he houses these things and sells them out of, his little, out of his little flower shop. A gentleman will come in. He's from Boston. He's just there visiting family members, and he sees these, these uh, uh, vegetable and fruit arrangements, uh, and he says, this is a very neat idea. They would love this in Boston. Can I buy a franchise. Would you be willing to franchise that? And that's how Eatable Arrangements were, Edible Arrangements, I suppose. Edible Arrangements was, was formed, and now it's a multi-million dollar business with several dozen franchises around the country. Tariq saw an opportunity and jumped on it. Today, I want you to see opportunities and jump on them. In Acts 28, as we are closing out our series on Acts, we have met an unstoppable God. Have we not? In Acts, God is, as He always is, unstoppable. And He has given the church an unstoppable mission. Go out. Tell them about Him. And when you do that, you become unstoppable. Nobody, nothing can stand in your way. That's what we've learned from Acts today. Or from Acts this year, today you're going to learn to take advantage of every single opportunity that's in front of you. 
You're going to be encouraged to do that as Paul does that. Today you're going to see Paul jump on every opportunity he's given. Even the slimmest glimmer of a possibility, Paul jumps on it. Acts chapter 28 opens up with them swimming on shore on this island that they now know uh, is called Malta. We have this island. You can still visit this island today. I'm told there are no more venomous snakes. I suppose they've gone extinct, so if you want to go, it's fairly safe now. Much safer than it was in Paul's day. So they are, they've been shipwrecked, of course, in, in the, the Mediterranean. And so uh, they ha- have swum on shore, not a single person. Uh, all 276 people on this ship have survived, uh, and they've all swam or floated uh, to the island of Malta. When they get there, it's still storming, of course, and so the rain is pelting down, and it's cold. It's this time of year uh, in the Mediterranean, so it's cold. It's, it's like it would be today. It's 50, 40, 50 degrees uh, and, and drenching rain, and they're already wet from and exhausted from the, the shipwreck, and so the, uh, the, the, the natives uh, will... You're, if you're reading the King James, it says barbarians. It's not a negative term. It's uh, indicative that these people didn't speak Greek. It's how the Greeks would have looked at everyone who didn't speak Greek. But the native people here were kind to Paul uh, and the company because they, they built uh, a fire, a bonfire for them, essentially to dry themselves off and to gain heat by. The word Paul uses, or the word Luke uses to describe these people's kindness is repeated. Uh, they did more things than Luke records for us here, but it, it's like they, they saw an opportunity and they jumped on it. Paul's going to do the exact same thing for them in a spiritual way in just a minute. So in an effort to keep this fire going, apparently everyone, or at least Paul, is collecting sticks to throw on the fire to feed the fire. Paul's so industrious. I mean, he never stops working. You won't ever see Paul sitting down. You don't ever see him... Uh, taking a break. This, he's always going, right? It's, it's his personality, but it's also our mission. Keep going. Don't, don't stop. You be industrious in the work of the Lord. You always be looking for opportunities to help, to serve, to make things better, to teach people about Jesus. Paul is doing that. He's just doing it by picking up sticks at this point. Let me tell you what I mean. When he picks up this bundle of sticks he finds on the ground, he he throws it in the fire. I think the viper, the snake, the poisonous snake, is in the fire. But it's maybe high enough or low enough or situated in such a way that at this point it's not been harmed by the fire. But it's, it's now been awakened. You know, the snakes go dormant in the cold, I suppose. And that's true in the Mediterranean as, well, as it is here. Um, but this particular snake has, has gone dormant and the fire has woken it up. And so when Paul throws this bundle of, of sticks that he's gathered on the fire. The, the viper reaches out and it grabs a hold of his hand. I hate snakes. So this picture sends special feelings through my stomach. <laughs> but it's latched onto his hand. And what does Paul do? He, he just brushes it off into the fire like nothing had happened. Of course, this is a promise Jesus would have. The apostles would be able to do this kind of thing and they wouldn't be harmed by it. We know that. But I'm interested why Luke finds it important enough for us to record this event. This morning in our Bible class, we were reminded that there are a lot of things that happen 
in between the events of Scripture that aren't recorded for us, right? Um, He chooses which stories to deliver to us for a reason. So what is that reason? Why is this story? It seems very weird, doesn't it? It's got to be more than simply that an apostle can be bitten by a snake and not suffer injury. It's got to be more than that because this is placed here for a specific reason. What is that reason? Well, if you were listening when Steve read the scripture reading, you can also read it here for yourself in the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 28. You'll find the people's reaction to this snake bite. They know Paul's a prisoner. That has not escaped their notice. Think about if uh, near 300 people would walk in our doors today, we'd say, hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> what y'all up to? That's exactly what's happened with these people only in, in maybe an even bigger way. 300 people have washed on their shores, and so the natives are curious why they're there. Uh, What's going on? Who are you guys? And so they figured out that Paul's a prisoner and that there are other prisoners there on board this ship. And so uh, they think, well, he must be a terrible person. The gods have saved him from this shipwreck, which ought to have killed him and everybody on board. But the gods have saved him from that, and now they've They've struck him dead because of this venomous snake. Now he's going to die a horrible death. So this must be justice must have been meted out by the gods. That's what they think. And so what do they do? Well, they sit back and they just watch what's going to happen. Right? They sit back and watch. And I suppose 30 minutes passes. People add more sticks to the fire more cautiously now. An hour passes, still nothing. Two hours pass, sun's starting to set, more sticks added to the fire. Paul's not swelling up, he's not dying, so they change, his opinion, they change their opinion of him. He's no longer uh, a murderer or a terrible person, now he must be a god. Why is this positioned here for us? It's positioned here for us to serve the exact same purpose that all miracles do, to awaken people to the truth that the miracle worker is speaking. That's what all miracles are for. They're to validate what the miracle worker is saying. If this guy can be bitten by a venomous snake, like these guys, they're natives. This snake is native to Malta. If, if uh, somebody were bitten by a water moccasin and they just kind of sit around and didn't make a big deal about it, we'd be like, it's a very pretty big deal. You need, to, you need to go have this seat about, right? Paul doesn't make a big deal about it. Brushes it off in the fire. Goes on with his day. But if that happened to us, we'd be thinking, oh. Especially if they, nothing happened to them. We'd, we'd want to know, how was that? Because we know the, the venomous nature of these snakes. How, how did this thing not kill you? We expected this to be catastrophic. Luke records for us. Thanks to his, his, uh, his doctor's skills, he's familiar with the language and what would happen. Maybe he's interviewed some of these people, and so he's telling us their expectations, and it is it's, it's horrific, isn't it? He's going to swell up, and he's going to die, and probably internal bleeding will be the, the cause of his death. Pretty horrible death, but when he doesn't do that, these people will come to a different conclusion. Whatever this guy says, we better start listening to he's speaking for someone much more powerful than himself. He's a spokesman. Okay? Well, then you fast forward 
The very next story Luke tells us is about a guy who is he's the governor of the island of Malta. He, he's the chief man is how some translations say it. His name is Publius. He's got a dad. His dad is sick with what will today be known as Malta fever. You get it by drinking contaminated goat's milk. We, we know why this guy was sick. There's, there's some sort of bacteria that's in the goat's milk on the island of Malta. They still have it. If you're not careful, uh, the snake might not get you, but the goat's milk might. So uh, they still have this, and it, and it will provide uh, dysentery. Um, it will provide intermittent fevers, and, and Luke records that for us. He doesn't, he doesn't just say fever. Um, Publius' dad wasn't just sick with, with a fever. It was, he was sick with fevers, and so it would come and it would go. You ever been there? That's a horrible feeling, isn't it? And so he's sick, and, and he feels a little bit better, and then he's sick again, and he feels a little bit better, and it's just on again, off again for what might be months um, and it can lead to much more significant, serious diseases which cause death still today. If it, if it goes untreated, uh, this, this can still cause death today. And a, a miserable death, not just going away peacefully in your sleep. So that's what this, that's what this, this guy is dealing with. Uh, Publius' dad is dealing with this type of this illness. And so when Publius has been extraordinarily kind to Paul and his cohort, his friends, these people that have been on the ship with him now for three months plus. He invites them all to his house. Can you imagine having 276 house guests for three days? They're there for three months, but he only invites them for three days. I don't know what happened. I assume they found other lodging. But for whatever reason, he, he, he takes a liking to Paul and Paul sees an opportunity with this guy and so he heals his dad. It's interesting, right? He sees an opportunity to help, and what's he do? He jumps on that opportunity. We're not ever told. You go back and read it, and you find it for me. In Acts 28, we're never told that Paul preaches a single word on this, on this island. Does he? I can't see him not. He's now done two miracles. The purpose of miracles being to validate what the speaker's saying. Paul's preaching here. There's no doubt in my mind. He's talking to these people who understand right and wrong, right? They do. The Maltans are, are, are familiar with this concept because when they see a prisoner, right, that has survived something he shouldn't survive, get bitten by a snake, they say, there's justice. It's come back to bite you, literally. There's justice. These guys have a concept of justice and what's right and wrong. Paul would, you, you just, he almost couldn't stop himself from taking advantage of this opportunity to say something like, you believe in justice. Well, there's a God who's coming one day to mete out justice, not only to his people, but to everyone in the whole world. You need to get inside of Christ. You need to be baptized to have those sins washed away. He's pleading with his people. I can't see him doing otherwise, especially not after these two miracles, not after all these opportunities. In Acts, Paul, Peter, the Christians jump on opportunities like this. They take full advantage of opportunities like this. <coughs> Even beyond that, though, after he heals Publius' dad, 
the whole island. Everyone that's sick on the island, everyone that has any kind of disease or ailment or infirmity, they will come to Paul for healing. For three months, a steady stream of people come to him. As word of mouth spreads around the island, the sick from the far reaches of the island come to visit Paul. I missed my slide. There you go. So, as he's healing, what's he doing? The point of healing is never just the healing. He leaves, Jesus would do the same thing. He leaves people, <coughs> excuse me, in some cities unhealed. We're not, we're not told that, but just by the nature of disease and infirmities and, and things like that, he, he, he doesn't have time to heal everyone, and that's not the purpose of his coming anyhow, is it? What's the purpose of his coming? Well, Mark would tell us that he's preaching righteousness, a coming kingdom. That's the purpose, and he does the miracles to get your attention, to validate what he's saying. Paul's going to use the miracles for the exact same reason. And as he's healing literally everyone on the island that needs healing, what's he doing? Got to think he's teaching because that's who Paul is. He takes advantage of all these opportunities. They're going to leave Malta. We might come back to it in just a second, but they're, they're going to leave Malta. In verses uh, 12 and 13 of Acts 28, they put into Syracuse. We stayed there three days. What's he doing in Syracuse for three days? I have no idea. This is all the record we have for it, but... What do you think he's doing in Syracuse for three days? I think he's preaching. And in fact, archaeologists have found Christian catacombs in Syracuse. We know there was a Christian community there. Without a doubt, they were there. How'd they get there? I think it's likely that at least if they weren't there before Paul came, that they were there after those three days. So from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Patoli. Patoli is an interesting city because they're going to find... Look back in your text. I, don't, I won't have it on the board for you, but what happens in verse 14 of Acts 28? There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for how many days? Seven days. So put, paint this picture in your head for just a second and, and be awed with me as we think about Paul going from prisoner, right? He was a prisoner in Caesarea Maritima. He boards, excuse me, he boards this ship a prisoner. He's in shackles. I don't think those shackles have ever left him. Left him. I think he's still in chains. But now, over the span of this three, four, five month journey, Paul's taking control of this ship. Isn't that interesting? The Roman who would have been in charge, Julius, you remember him? The centurion who, who likes Paul and has afforded him several opportunities to go um, with freedom, uh, to go to, to uh, port cities. And, and on one occasion, he allows him to visit friends. He, he, he's kind to Paul. This guy, Julius, is in charge of the ship. He's calling the shots. Remember, he's the one that talks to the captain and to the pilot of the ship. And he's the one that makes the final decision. We will sell on. That's a bad decision. Paul tells him it's a bad decision, but he doesn't listen to Paul. Then later on, he's going to listen to Paul because Paul says, remember, I was right earlier. You better listen to me now or things are going to go poorly again. <laughs> so now in Patoli, we find Paul calling the shots. He meets with 
Christians in this city, they're there. He meets with them for a week. The Roman has, Julius has, zero interest. Well, maybe he does by now. But back before he met Paul, he's got zero interest in Christianity. He's got zero interest in Christ. He's not a disciple. He's a Roman. His, his only charge is to get Paul from A to B. He's going from Caesarea Maritima to Rome, and he gets Paul safely there. He's done his job. That's the only thing he's concerned about. He's a soldier. He's got one job. And he's done it so far. Incredibly so. It's interesting that he's given Paul the leadership of the whole band now. Paul's calling the shots. Paul's the only one with the interest here in meeting with these Christians for an entire week. The Roman's still there. Julius is still there. He's just letting Paul call the shots now. It's interesting, right? What do you think they talked about for three months while they were on board that ship? What were the conversations like between Paul and, and this Julius, the centurion? I know they had a lot of them. I know he asked Paul's advice on a couple of different occasions. Took it at least, or didn't take it at least once, and then apparently began to trust Paul and the wisdom that he has. I don't know what their conversations consisted of, but I cannot see Paul having a captive audience, pun intended, though Paul's the captive. His audience is restricted to being around him, aren't they? I can't imagine Paul having a, having a captive audience and him not teaching them about Christ, not warning them about the coming judgment, not talking to them about self-control as he did with Agrippa. That's who he is. He jumps on these type of opportunities. Something's happened to Julius in, in this, this three-month time period from when he left Caesarea Maritima until this point where they come to this city and they find Christians there. He was... You might say soft on Paul in the beginning. He treated him kindly. This goes way beyond kindness. He's dragging on the mission now so that Paul can accomplish what he wants. Paul's jumped on some opportunities. He's taken full advantage of some of these opportunities that he's been afforded. We need to as well. Listen to this, though. Some Christians uh, have heard. I'm assuming some of the Christians in this city that Paul visited for a week... I'm assuming he sent a, uh, a messenger on into Rome to say, hey, Paul's coming this way. And so some of the Roman Christians met him here in, you probably can't see it, but it's right, right in the middle of the, the, that red line. There's a, there's a city called Three Taverns. And there's another city on down south uh, toward Paul called um, the, Formium, the Forum of Appius. They meet him here. It's about 40 miles away from, uh, uh, from Rome. Uh, the Forum of Appius is gone now. Uh, you can see its ruins, but Three Taverns still exists. Uh, like I found it on a Google map. You can drive there. It's kind of neat. Um, but both these cities are around 40 miles from Rome. So these guys walked at least a day's journey to go out and meet the Apostle Paul. You see, you see what's happening? It's not just Paul jumping on every opportunity. It's not Paul just taking advantage of every opportunity. It's a Christian's duty. It's, a, it's, it's, it's our uh, obligation 
take advantage of every opportunity we've been given. If Paul were 40 miles, if Paul were in Columbus, would you go see him? 100%. We're taking a bus, right? These guys saw Paul coming and they wanted to take advantage of every opportunity they had been afforded. They jumped on these opportunities eagerly, anxiously jumping on these opportunities. He's going to spend two years in Rome. They don't know that at this point. He didn't know that at this point. But they wanted to spend every second they could with him. Wouldn't you? I mean, if Paul was, was in Gallipolis, we're going to go see him, you know? Um, if Paul's in Washington State, we're going to go see him. If he were here, we're going to go see him. We, we jump on every opportunity like this. Maybe you recognize this picture. Um, probably some of you do. This is um, Harmon and Marguerite Blennerhassett from Blennerhassett Island. Um, they are among the first pioneers on this side uh, of, of uh, the country. Uh, when Ohio first started being settled, they were among the first people that came here. Most of the rest of the people would build log cabins, and eventually they would, they would build nicer dwellings. <coughs> uh, Harmon and Marguerite come from extreme money. Um, they're, 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 they're incredibly wealthy. And so when they come to the Ohio country, they build not a log cabin, but a mansion. People in their day uh, would, would view it as an oddity. It stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, because of the opulence of this place. And, and you can obviously still go see it, and many of you have. Um, but fast forward 20, 25, 30 years on down the line, they meet a vice president. His name's Aaron Burr. You know him too, of course. Um, he has a, an idea, um, to, a treasonous idea to take over part of the country. He wants to go down to Texas and make his own republic and things like that. He, he's got everything in line. He's got it's everything figured out. He's a smart guy, but he's got everything figured out except how he's going to pay for it. And so he meets at Blennerhassett, at the Blennerhassett mansion one night, and he convinces Harmon to fund the venture. He buys soldiers. He buys an armory or two, he buys and has built ships, dozens of ships. The problem you're well aware of is this doesn't work, right? Uh, the government finds out about this and, and Burr's taken into custody. Harmon Blinner has it, will eventually, he runs for his life, but he eventually will be taken into custody. He, they're both going to be released on some technicality, but the opportunity that he was afforded, he messed up. One of the, the, the governors of, of the Ohio country, uh, the original guy, uh, Putnam was his last name, said that uh, Harmon Blennerhassett had every kind of sense except common <laughs> sense. Uh, and so he, he's not able to see through Burr's mirage that he's painted, right? He jumped on the wrong opportunity. You need to make sure you jump on the right opportunity. Are you taking advantage of every opportunity you've been afforded? Well, what opportunities might those be? Well, every Sunday we meet right here. <laughs> three, times a, uh, three times a week, don't we? Three times a day on Sunday. One time on Wednesday night. Are, are you taking advantage of that opportunity to dive deeply into God's Word? That's a good 
start, isn't it? You've been given a Bible in your house, and you know what? There's even one on your phone, and so it's, it's everywhere you go. Have you taken every opportunity to read it, to study it? You've been given the opportunity to pray whenever and wherever you want. Don't, don't waste that opportunity. Since Acts is so hyper-focused on evangelism, we would be remiss as we close out our series on this great book not to spend some time thinking about the opportunities we can't miss with people. There are people where you work that need to know Jesus. You'd be, you need to be on the lookout for opportunities to bring him up, to bring Jesus up to these people. Paul, Luke noticed this, and he told us about this. He noted that the people on the island were extremely generous, indicating that they were aware of the difference between right and wrong. When Paul saw that opening, what does he do? He jumps on it. He takes advantage of it. Don't miss those opportunities. They've been afforded to you for what might be a short period of time, but they've been entrusted to your care. The person sitting in the cubicle next to you, if you're listening, they might just say something that gives, that gives you an opening to talk to them. person down the hall, right? Your next door neighbor. We all have conversations with these people. And often, if we just listen, you'll find an opportunity, an opening to share Jesus with these folks that you would have missed otherwise had you not been listening. How many of us would have taken advantage of of that snake bite. I don't think I would have. I think I'd have been distracted. What do you think? Would you have been distracted by the, the viper biting your hand? Paul uses it. Don't get distracted. You have an unstoppable God at your back who's given you an unstoppable mission. You cannot fail as long as you are in His will doing what He would have you to do. You cannot fail. That's a pretty good promise, right? So you stick with it. You look for and take advantage of every opportunity you've been given to share him with everyone else. And we will have the same results as the first century church did. Oh, but our culture is different. Our culture is not any more antagonistic than their culture was. They were literally being killed for their faith. We're just irrelevant. Maybe we're irrelevant because our faith is not as strong, not as white hot, not as passionate as, as theirs is. Maybe we're irrelevant because we haven't looked for every opportunity to share the truth of Jesus with these folks. We have an unstoppable God who's given us an unstoppable mission. Let's go out and do it. This morning, if you have come here, maybe you've come here for such a time as this. Maybe you've come here to have your sins washed away, to have put Christ on in baptism, to be added to his family, to start a brand new life. We want to aid you in any way we can. If you've been baptized and you're struggling and you want the prayers of this congregation to be absolutely everything that God would have you to be, why won't you come forward this morning as we stand and sing? Have you been to Jesus? Are you walking in the way? Are you walking?
morning church family hope everyone's doing good this morning if you're visiting with us we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning if you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you and place it in a black box in the back we'd love to have a record of your attendance uh, a couple announcements before we are dismissed as a reminder um, we're still needed of food for our food pantry um, I know I uh, went in there the other day I know we're low on stuffing and uh, gravy and instant potatoes um, and some other things as well. Uh, there's a sheet in the bulletin and also on the foyer board. If you can help out with that, we greatly appreciate that. Um, also, as a reminder, this Saturday, October 28th, is Trunk or Treat at 6 o'clock. If you're planning on participating in that, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer table. Uh, please sign up for that uh, as, soon as, as soon as you leave this morning. Um, also, next Sunday is Potluck. Uh, there will be no 6 o'clock service, uh, 1 o'clock service. So invite a friend. We'd love to have uh, as many people for a potluck as possible. Also, November 1st, Stepping Stone Supper is at 5.30. Mexican is on the menu. Uh, November 3rd and the 4th is United Youth Rally at Fort Hill. Um, Kyle Butt will be the guest speaker for that. Um, also, uh, November 12th, after a morning worship, Life Group 2, that's Gary's Life Group, will be uh, having a dinner for the veterans uh, to show their appreciation um, for what, how they served our country. So um, that will be uh, November 12th. Um, I have a thank you card here. Uh, it says, thank you to each and every one of you that prayed for us while our loved one, Tanya Shamblin, while she went through cancer, her reports are good, and no more surgery or treatments are necessary at this time. We are very thankful for you, all your prayers, the Tanya Shamblin family. Um, also, updates on our prayer list. Um, keep um, a cousin of Denise Spears and Connie Sullivan in your prayers. Chuck Davidson, uh, he's going through cancer at this time. Uh, keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as well. He is... Um, uh, he has an appointment this Thursday at Columbus, uh, so even though he's in remission, he still has a lot of appointments to go to in Columbus, so keep him in your prayers. Also, remember, continue to keep Jim Haney in your prayers as he's uh, dealing with his cancer, and keep Jim Martin in your prayers as well. He fell last week, but is doing better, um, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, Tim Hewitt is now at home, and he's doing better, but um, 
still isn't able to make it to church at this time. So remember to continue to keep him in your prayers as he heals and gets better. Uh, Marvin Jordan has an appointment uh, this week, so keep Marvin in your prayers. Uh, keep Carolyn O'Lynn in your prayers as well. That's Jerry Stevens' sister. Uh, keep Friday uh, Simpson in your prayers as well. If she has some uh, tough decisions in the future to make, uh, so keep her in your prayers. And remember, continue to keep Roger Pryor and and Peg Pryor and Charlie and Alice Boso and all the ones who are taking care of ones with uh, dementia at this time in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. Let's please stand. We'll sing hymn number 48, first two verses, and then Brother Casey Baker will lead us in prayer. Anywhere with Jesus. Anywhere with Jesus, I can say, Let's pray. Father, we come to you now thankful for this day that we have to gather here and worship you, Father, and we, we thank you for the lesson Chris gave us and the, and the lesson that all of our morning class teachers gave. Father, we pray that we, we take those lessons and we can use them in a way that makes you proud and, and brings glory to your name, Father. We pray that, that as we go out from this worship service, we can be a, a shining example to the community of, of exactly who you want your people to be, Father. And, and we pray that, that this church continues to be a beacon for the community. We pray for those who aren't here today for whatever reason, sickness, those who have fallen away, Father. We, we pray that you be with them and... and be on their minds, Father, and we pray for those who are sick, and we pray for a return of their health. Watch over us, keep us safe, forgive us when we sin, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.